0: I would cook for my housemates and then sometimes I would, like, you know what, bring a friend. And so the and number. And were you g-
1: charging these friends?
0: <laughs> At the beginning, no. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to My Signature Dish, Episode 4. Thanks very much for downloading. My name's Ollie Horn and it's a pleasure to have you here. This is the podcast where I encourage talented home cooks to reveal all about their signature dish, the dish that best represents their culinary passions. And this week I'm speaking to Natasha with a double first. Uh, Not only is this the first female guest, uh, something I've been very conscious of, um, the next two guests as well I think are going to be men, so I need to address that balance somehow. Um, But also this is the first guest that I've recorded remotely. Uh, so I used this software which wasn't very good and we had about three or four failed attempts and Natasha was incredibly patient uh, but I am very surprised with how good the audio sounds um, well I think it sounds good I'm sure you're going to judge this for yourself and email me at podcast at pono.app as some people already have done uh, about the terrible audio in previous episodes I hear ya, I hear ya, I'm doing my best um, so there are a few occasions uh, where there's like a slight delay in the line so that means that Natasha and I kind of treaded on each other's toes when we're speaking, apologies for that I've tried to edit them out but please know that it was always me that was doing The Interrupting, not her. Uh, So Natasha is Malaysian, uh, a country that's very dear to my heart. Uh, My favourite comedy club in the world, I think, uh, is in Kuala Lumpur. It's called The Crack House. And I spent a very happy week there performing to audiences from all different nationalities uh, last year. uh, And I enjoyed without question the best post-gig street food that I've ever indulged in. It was like this this cart that had a series of skewers with different meats and vegetables, and you'd boil them yourself. You'd pick which skewers you want, boil them, uh, or fry them, uh, and eat them there and then. I must have gone back three times. Um, I'm a big fan of Malaysian food, and whether you're already familiar with Malaysian cuisine uh, or not, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Natasha, an entrepreneurial foodie who connected with the food of her home country while living in the UK uh, from a very early age, and this connection, uh, as we find out, was fortified when she moved to the Midwest of the USA. Uh, and so we start our conversation talking about Natasha's memories of her mother's cooking while they lived in the UK. Enjoy.
0: My mom, she had this habit of like, you know, uh, inviting people over and we always had this open house concept. So it was very regular to see, you know, people that I didn't know at home especially students who just arrived in, 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 in England and then they would come over and, and you know eat my mom's food when they're feeling homesick and whatnot and then my local friends would join so this was
1: like a place of cultural yeah, refuge yeah yeah
0: and then I later on That's yeah and then later on when I was an adult in the U.S. I realized I was actually emulating that I was doing the same thing
1: brilliant so let's let's first of all find out what on earth was your mom cooking that encouraged all of these people to flock to your house yeah
0: my mom would use the opportunity to showcase her culinary skill by cooking those complicated dishes like um biryani and um you know like um like mutton curry and chicken curry and then um she loves to you to cook um dishes that that you would have to eat with rice because then you'll have the rice, which she would make it pretty unique. It would be like nasi tomato, which is like tomato rice or like, um, what do you call it? Um, we call it nasi minya. Uh, that's butter rice. And that would be eaten with complex dishes like you know like I mentioned mutton curry and you have chutney and then you have like an assortment of other dishes like chicken cooked in um in soya sauce and um or maybe like seafood cooked in in um what do you call it sambal gravy which is like um spicy spicy gravy and are these typical... Yeah, they are actually, but is there? But a lot of what my mom cooked was a uh, was a lot of um Indian um dishes actually because of our Indian background. Right. So a lot of it was a lot of it was like Indian based. So it was like you have korma, you have curry.
1: Oh, delicious! And of course, this is quite common in Malaysia, isn't it? To to have people from multiple ethnic backgrounds all living in one family.
0: Yes absolutely and um my mom would cook rendang and i think when we were in the uk during um uh, eid mubarak then my mom would cook all the dishes that you know it's quite hard to get uh, over there sure. but my mom would persevere yeah like you know you do like you know like katupat and nasi um, impit which is like you know flattened rice and then you eat it with um with with this special uh what do you call it? Peanut sauce.
1: Oh, delicious! And you mentioned rendang. That there'll definitely be some listeners that might not have enjoyed this. Can you describe that dish? Yes.
0: First? Okay. So rendang is like is is pieces of meat that is cooked in a very thick um, uh. What do you call it? Mixture of spices, which would be okay. You have your regulars shallots and um. Uh, what do you call it? Garlic. You have your lemongrass, and then you have your galangal uh which is lengkuas here galangal is,
1: is that is that kind of gingery thing right
0: yeah yes yes so normally it comes like in in, in a pair so you have the ginger and you have the galangal oh they're different and things then, Oh, they're different yeah but but normally in asian res, uh, cooking you you have them you know if you if you have e- if you've eaten uh, tom yum yeah so galangal is actually used in in tom yum
1: Right. Um, Yeah, and that's that really delicious soup, isn't it? That often has like prawns and stuff in.
0: Yes, Uh, which is, I think, it's it's a Thai dish, is it not? It is. It's a Thai dish. Right, okay. Yeah.
1: I think it's really hard for a, for a listener who hasn't been to Malaysia and experienced quite the, the melting pot that it is. I mean, I've only experienced Kuala Lumpur myself, but I understand the rest of the country is the same. Partly because of uh, the British rule um, and, and the British doing their best to kind of divide various ethnic groups up. Uh, yes. <laughs> Malaysia's done a really good job now of kind of bringing everyone back together, right? And you, you do have native Malays with, with uh, Indians, with, with Chinese, uh, all kind of living side by side and, and setting up restaurants side by side and sharing ingredients. And so so my impression of Malaysian food is kind of fusion food at its most pure.
0: Yeah. But if you want to talk about pure, I would recommend you travel to Borneo. That means you go to Sabah Sarawak because over there you can still have a tribal, you can try tribal food because we have so many ethnicities there as well. You have like, you know, the Iban, the Dayaks, and these are people who are really good at coming up with dishes that comes from the jungle. Um, a lot of people, they they would go to Kuala Lumpur to, to eat um, a, a Malaysian food, but I would tell you that it's a lot more difficult to get authentic Malaysian food in the city centre because a lot of the cooks in restaurants are not from malaysia so for example you have a lot more cooks who are indonesian cooking malaysian dishes so as a result the the dishes might be a lot more spicier um and and then yeah the seasoning might be a little bit off it might be a little bit more towards indonesian cuisine so right. for for yeah my recommendation if you want to really try like authentic malaysian cuisine try our borneo dishes
1: it's actually sure. Well, who's to say yeah. these Indonesian cooks aren't going to be changing the the Malaysian cuisine paradigm, and so that's going to become the new normal. Um, mm. That's the history of yep. food, isn't it?
0: Yeah. For example, like now you go everywhere, you you see ayam penyet, which is smashed chicken. It's everywhere, and you have bakso. Bakso is actually beef broth with um, beef meatballs. So it's it's everywhere, and it's very it sound Indonesian. Very delicious. Yeah. I wouldn't be complaining. Um, Presumably,
1: uh, when you moved from the UK at the age of 12 back to Malaysia, uh, presumably there wasn't too much of a cultural shock because what you were eating in the home would have stayed consistent.
0: Yes, except that my mom simplified the dishes because when my mom was was in the UK, she had reasons to kind of like, you know, cook a little bit more elaborate dishes because like, as I mentioned, there's a lot of people coming over. There's all that dining and hosting. Right, so she was showing off a bit yeah but coming back to malaysia it became more pragmatic because it was more like feeding the family and then we we were all growing up and it was more about what is time economical and then so it would normally be pared down to white rice with maybe three dishes and one would be protein one would be um one would be vegetables and then one would be maybe like um it could be fried fish or omelette so the other dish when i said Protein it could be chicken or beef. So it would it be, the average would be like three dishes, you know, to eat with rice.
1: My, my impression of Malaysian foods is that it takes an awfully long time. Like a lot of the dishes which I associate with Malaysia seem to just take hours and hours and hours of preparation.
0: Um, yeah it depends though because the ones that has rich gravy takes a long time because of the slow cooking method um, but if we also have like fried rice we have noodles those are really really fast to whip up yeah but still the preparation for you know, to prep the ingredients yeah it does take a while i mean you can't cook asian dishes um not the ones that you know um my mom prepares. You can't you, you can't do it in, in less than half an hour. So all those you know, like you have shows like Jamie Oliver's thirty minute cooking and whatnot, it doesn't really pertain to Asian yeah. cooking. <laughs>
1: yeah, sure. And uh, and if um if if a listener is gonna go to a Malaysian restaurant in their country, mm-hmm. what do you think is the surefire thing that even abroad they're not gonna get wrong?
0: Okay. Go to a mama restaurant. Mm-hmm that means you go to the one that's 24 hours open and um oh these are in Malaysia yes. right
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to them. They're brilliant. Yeah. At 3 a.m. Yeah. You can get like a, re- a, a beef rendang Eggs. or a nasi lemak or something. Yes. And Some roti, exactly. fresh and those roti. are
0: pretty complex dishes, but you can get them 24 hours and you can choose to eat it with rice or you can eat it with paratha. You can eat it with bread. But it'll be a good, oh, it'll be a great introduction for anybody who had just landed in Kuala Lumpur. And especially when you're really, really hungry, because you also have tandoori, you have naan, and you also have like, you know, the noodles it's like a really great introduction to like malaysian food 101
1: and what if uh, what if they can't yet get to malaysia but they're going to a malaysian restaurant in their home country what do you think is the the thing which they're unlikely to get wrong
0: um i think a lot of um restaurants that offer malaysian dishes abroad um would be nasi lemak
1: yeah. okay and can you explain what that is
0: so that would be a very simple dish, actually, because nasi lemma is... I love it have, so it's, much. Yeah, it's rice, but it's cooked in coconut milk. And screw pine leaf, so it's very aromatic and it's very creamy. And then it will be eaten with um, sambal, which is actually a um, what do you call it? A spicy sauce that is that is made out. It's
1: very bright, isn't it? Yeah,
0: and it's made out of chili, um, dried chili, blended with shallots and garlic, and then a little bit of um, uh, shrimp paste thrown into it and then you put salt, sugar and a little bit of um, vinegar into it to make it sour and that's the sambal. And then um, sometimes they throw in anchovies into the sambal and then they, uh, then you have fried anchovies and then you have fried um, peanuts followed by cucumber. How
1: interesting. And in mm. terms of your cooking now when you're making your own dishes in the kitchen, do you have any examples yeah. where you've borrowed from your world travels? and uh, created your own kind of hybrid or fusion dish.
0: Yes. um, I've actually created my own uh, range of curry dishes. And the, 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 one of the main difference is that um, I, I don't put coconut milk into my curry dishes. So the gravy that you see is, is actually coming from the juices, from the meat and from the blending of my ingredients. Right.
1: Are we, are we getting close yeah. to Signature Dish? Am, am I, am I smelling? The, yes. Okay. Well, in that case, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to pause this particular line of questioning and we'll come back here because I want to find out how we, <laughs> how we get uh, to, to your signature dish. Um, so <laughs> t- tell me when, when was the next time that you left Malaysia for, for a new country?
0: Um, that would, have, that would be in tw- 2005. I left for the U S
1: and, and how old were you then?
0: I was twenty
1: nine. Okay, so so you'd you've been in Malaysia for quite a while. Presumably you've been working, been studying.
0: Yeah. But in the course of my work I travel a lot. I travel across to Europe and so forth, but it's usually not more than two weeks at a time. And right. um yeah, and uh, the the thing that I I, I I prefer to eat when I'm traveling is usually pasta. Particularly if you go to Italy, I, I would hope um even anywhere else uh, uh unless it's um uh, well two types of dishes i would, I would normally go for would be any kind of pasta dish because it's it's fast and convenient and it's predictable i can already imagine how it's going to taste like um and the other one would be like kebab
1: oh goodness me yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right i i it's 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 rare to get a particularly bad kebab isn't it because often kebabs are made by you know, it's, it's either, either going to be a, a, a Greek or a Turkish guy making it typically. Yes. And typically they the know what be- they're doing. Yeah.
0: The best kebab I've tasted was in Florence, actually, Italy. I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. So which part of the US did you move to? I moved to the northern part, which was the northwest, um, Minnesota. But I lived in a very, very small um, town called Bemidji, which was sandwiched between three Native American Indian reservations. Goodness me. And what were you doing there? Um, I followed my partner at the time, who was was studying in a, a local university. He was studying at Bemidji State University.
1: Right, and so you you tagged along for the journey.
0: I tagged along, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Because it, it was it was a nice change to the you know the busy city lifestyle that we had here in Kuala Lumpur.
1: Yeah, right. I, I can imagine. Uh, when I, I've never been to the Midwest of the US, but I can't imagine. Um, that There's going to be anywhere nearly as busy as the center of KL. Did you remember your memories? That kind of your first few weeks when after you arrived in the US.
0: Yeah, um, I think when I when I first arrived in in um, Bemidji, I was I was very impressed uh, by the the mom and pop diners. Um, I love the whole vibe about it you know small type of restaurants everybody knew everybody and then I remember tasting the very best um, roast beef dish I mean i I've I'm not a beef person but when I was there for three years I, I ate the most amount of roast beef because it, it just tasted so good and and it's coming from all these mom-and-pop diners you know um served by a family so is that what a mom-and-pop diner typically serves then? yeah is it mainly roast yeah meat? And, and where I live predominantly they, they eat a lot of beef and venison turkey compared to any other types of meat and it was a cultural shock for me in that sense because um I'm, I'm not much of a red meat person um but when I went there I kind of like flipped over yeah and I was like because I think it was very important to experience this kind of dishes. And there was one time I went to a picnic and they served me bear meat and I didn't know it was bear meat. I thought it was beef because it was... It, oh, yeah. Meat from a bear? Yeah, yes. Yes. I'm,
1: oh, oh, well, what what would that taste like? What, what's the equivalent animal that I might have eaten beef. that bear taste? It tastes like. like beef. Oh, right. Because, Does it taste yeah, like
0: beef? Yeah, because they cook it in... It was like chili con carne, So I thought it was beef cooked in, you know chili con carne oh what a waste if you're gonna eat a bear then why mask it exactly in a chili con carne yeah carne? and then you know gay meat um so i i i've tasted quite a fair bit and it was really nice and then um pigeon um you name it um
1: me, it sounds like you're eating more exotic food in the American <laughs> Midwest than you ever you were in Malaysia.
0: But I have to tell you, I was actually duped into eating them because my friends knew how picky I was. So they would normally lie to me at first and say, Oh, is oh, this, is that? yeah, and then after they'd be like, oh, actually, dot dot dot. You know, and I'm like, What? But I like the fact that they did that. So I kinda I I I was able to accumulate the experiences. Yeah. But um my least favorite would be Turkey.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's I don't think I've ever had turkey and gone, wow, wow, yeah. I'm so glad to have had that.
0: Yeah. And and I think it's very, very unusual to have for Thanksgiving turkey with cranberry sauce because cranberry sauce is so overpowering. So I end up I would end up eating the cranberry sauce by itself. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Well um <laughs> I, I suppose that what what's that? That's the, the cultural equivalent of me uh going to um i don't know <laughs> me going to um to malaysia and buying a mee goreng um and just just picking out the i don't know just picking out the chicken um, yeah and
0: everything else it, that makes it important i think like kuetia goreng but you're removing the what do you call it um the clams taking out the clams
1: yeah right that's a that's a much better example you yeah. got there quicker than i did
0: when you need uh, the clams because the clam is what makes the flavor for the dish in the first place yeah
1: precisely um and and so when you were cooking at at home were you cooking malaysian food or were you trying to adopt the american way of life
0: it's funny because when i was in the u.s i became so patriotic to to everything malaysian and i
1: that's very common this happens isn't it
0: yeah and for some weird reason i was reaching out to all the difficult dishes i think my mom you know she if she she would have been so proud um because these were the kind of dishes I would not attempt in Malaysia but I think mainly because you know my mom is around my grandmother and these are like fabulous cooks and you don't want to be in their shadows right so when I was there I think because I was on my own I was I was thinking you know what I can screw this dish up no one would know <laughs> no one's gonna judge you no one's gonna no, me right, and friends are there. They're very supportive. So yeah, so I started cooking all these dishes like you know chicken curry, chicken korma, and even for Hari Raya, I even cooked beef rendang. I did my peanut sauce, and I actually did satay. I
1: oh, I love chicken satay. Yeah.
0: I did that, With that I lovely used,
1: peanut sauce, right?
0: Yeah, and I used the my, I use the conventional oven, you know, to do satay, and um, okay, presumably
1: you have to put the oven very, very hot in order to do that. then.
0: Yes, and the trick is to 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 uh, what do you call it? To soak the the, the skewer sticks.
1: Ah, soak them in water, so they don't yeah, burn. soak
0: them in water, and then yeah, and then later on when you put it in the oven, it won't it won't burn. And then I realized that when I to make my peanut sauce, my peanut gravy, right, to go with the satay, uh, I use the already roasted peanuts, and they make fan they bring out a fantastic flavor to this. Oh, yeah to the peanut satay sauce. And until today, I keep convincing my mom, mom, you should try and buy those ready-made roasted peanuts and blend them and use that for your satay sauce. He's like, no, 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 no. You know? Well, but,
1: I heard a good tip for satay sauce mm. is to use a spoon of peanut butter. Is that a terrible thing to do?
0: It's not, but I can tell you that I tried it before and it, and if you use those party peanuts, you know, in, in the US they used to have those big cans of party peanuts, right? Those ready-made roasted peanuts. And you you don't need to put a tea, a tablespoon of peanut butter at all. It doesn't make a difference.
1: Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, well, that, it's that, like a placebo.
0: That,
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, well, possibly, yeah. Well, well, I suppose like you, right? If I'm if if I'm cooking food that, that my guests have not tasted before, then I go, yeah, that's authentic. That's that's how it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> even yeah. when it's it, so <laughs> bad.
0: And then, um, I, so who but
1: who who are you cooking for?
0: Okay, I I first I was cooking for for myself because I was feeling homesick, and you know when you're so far off and you're twelve hours difference from your family, it was difficult to communicate efficiently because you know when i was awake they were asleep so i think to fight loneliness i was cooking for myself to find some kind of familiarity and then um so it was very important for me to get to the exact taste because i wanted to reclaim my my experiences of home but to do that and because i you know to cook you know, in a pot, I'm like, I'm not gonna eat this by myself. I'm not gonna like, you know, spend all these hours preparing and cooking for myself. So I would I know exactly I would that cook feeling. For... Yeah. So I would cook for and plus it costs money, right? To to get all the ingredients. So I would I would cook for my housemates and then sometimes I would like, you know what? Bring a friend. And so the and then number were you
1: charging these friends?
0: <laughs> At the beginning, no. <laughs> Eventually, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh brilliant. So this turned into like a, an entrepreneurial venture.
0: Yeah, because if eventually what happened was, um, people were talking about my food. Not so much that it was like whoa, fabulous, because you know they didn't know any different, right? Um, and I think people were just just so happy to eat something familiar. But the news spread because um, among the local people, um, it was just something exotic. It was something that's so unusual. Because it and what w-
1: kind of people are we talking about? We're we talking like proper Midwest. Yeah like, never ventured outside their, their town.
0: No. <laughs> you know? No, no. In fact, um, uh, I mentioned that we were sandwiched between three Native American um, Indian um, reservations, but we also had a community of Mennonites. Living... Mennonites? These yeah. are, This is a church? Yeah, they're from Pennsylvania, like an offshoot of, like, I think the Amish uh, and right. community. And
1: do they have special dietary needs?
0: They don't, but they are li- it's more about their lifestyle. And, um yeah so okay.
1: and, and how would you describe that that lifestyle it's it like? very
0: very authentic and very very um what do you call it Why authentic it, do you
1: mean primitive
0: um no it's unadulterated with preservations and additives everything is just oh, right. okay. cooked from scratch and it's so wholesome and healthy and I I learned a lot more about appreciating food with from them actually and um I like the fact that um when you when they invite you over for for a meal, you have to earn your food. So they'll make you do stuff. So I had to grind wheat, you know, because they were going to make. Oh, that sounds bread. great. <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah. Great fun. My friend had to, you know, she had to, he, she had to churn. Um, she was doing butter and another one was doing something similar for ice cream. Imagine that seeing
1: ice cream on the menu and then going, well, we're going to give you the constituent parts.
0: Yeah. It's like going to
1: a hotel and saying, you're going to be making your own bed. Here's some wood, here's some nails. (laughs) Have have a good night's sleep when you're done.
0: Exactly. And, and I thought it was, that was so fun because you know it was like
1: well, it would make you appreciate it more, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, and also because you were part of the whole preparation. you were in the kitchen, and that's when the stories come out and they will talk to you about their life, their culture, what you know, what makes them you know so true to their to their what do you call it, to their way of life and, and so forth. And you must remember the men on ice, they live in the middle of nowhere. And um, yeah, right. Yeah, so we were completely disconnected, and you know, there was nobody had a smartphone. It was just us talking. And after the and after we finished eating, we would sit together and we would talk, um, share stories, and sing. And and did the interest flow
1: both ways? Were they as interested in your background as you were in theirs?
0: Yes, but they were more surprised that I was uh, I was very um I was global because I remember it is a, it's a very funny story because we were sitting together and we were having dessert and then they were like okay so let's let's tell us a little bit about yourself and and then I was like oh um are we going to sing kumbaya <laughs> and then I was like you know that? I'm like, yeah. Are we gonna do that? And then they were like, oh, we we're kind of surprised that you actually know that because you know a lot of local Americans were not very familiar of that, you know. And I, and then I, because I grew up, you know, in 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 St. Mary's under the Church of England back in the UK, so I knew a lot of hymns. So
1: right, yeah, okay. So, they must have loved it. Yeah,
0: and they were like, oh my god, what is this? It's an entertainer. So I was like. Telling the oh yeah, these are the hymns that I you know, uh and this and then um the Lord's Prayer and so forth and yeah. So it they were so amused because when it came to Christmas, you know, instead of singing those commercial pop, you know, Christmas songs, I was familiar and I was singing Christmas hymns.
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. And did you get much of a chance to cook uh, for them?
0: Yes, they would come in and and eat. Um, they would come over and then and, and, uh, I would cook them chicken kurma. The, the thing is, I realized they prefer chicken kurma to chicken curry because kurma had a milder taste. They felt that curry was a little bit too strong and I make my curry a little bit on the sour side. So chicken kurma was like a perfect blend for them. They they It was like, um, what do you call it? The chicken was cooked... It was slow cooked in coconut milk, but I told, yeah, is but I told them I don't, in, I don't cook, um, you know, in coconut milk. They're like, oh, but whenever anyway, we Google, you know, it's like, you know, coconut milk. But I said, no, this is my, my, my own signature dish where it's literally cooked in its own juices and, and, and all the ingredients. Yeah.
1: Brilliant. Right. So I, I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear all about this korma. So my understanding of a chicken korma is I'd, I'd eat this yeah. at an Indian restaurant and it would be. Almost sweet because of the mm-hmm. amount of coconut milk used and probably the mildest curry on the dish. I think uh, as, a, as a young boy, uh, that's the curry which my parents would order for me. And then you kind of graduate from a korma. I think like you get to the age of 13 um, and then <laughs> toxic masculinity means that you get bullied out of eating a korma. And you have to like upgrade to, um, I don't know, a tikka masala right um and then you carry on until yes. you know, you're showing off and eating vindaloo. so for me a, a chicken korma and it's almost like a little mm-hmm. bit it tastes a little bit nutty um it's quite fragrant but quite mild and, and i'd always remember having having a chicken korma with kind of pieces of chicken mm-hmm. breast um boneless in an indian restaurant so that's th- when i'm imagining a chicken korma that's what i'm imagining mm-hmm. maybe even like a little bit of cream absolutely
0: different Is first of different? all i would never use chicken breast um for any of my slow cooking dishes. Um and um I will only I will use um dark meat and I, I it's important to put bones into it. So I will use drumsticks or I would use the side part of uh of the chicken. And you keep the bone. My- in? yes absolutely Perfect. because that's the, that's the beauty when you slow cook them but for me my signature dishes um must have cumin because i i love cumin i i even oh, put really a lot of cumin in my masala tea yeah and i think the combination of cumin fennel uh, cardamom oh okay um, we're cinnamon. going too fast
1: slow down oh let's <laughs> so so how does this dish start this dish starts with you preparing the chicken does it
0: no, no. It starts with you blending the um shallots, uh, garlic and ginger. You always begin with this dynamic trio.
1: Right. This is like the 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 Southeast Asian miipua. Uh
0: oh yeah yeah, it all starts from there. Most and you're, Asian. You're
1: using um you're using ginger, not what's it called galangal.
0: No, for for um curry uh, and um korma, you don't you don't use galangal,
1: right? Because it's a bit a bit too yeah. strong. Okay, so so you, yes. you've got these three, in, and then you're sautéing them in a pan.
0: Yes, and here's a trick. I don't use just I don't use regular oil. You don't you don't use um what do you call it. Vegetable oil or olive oil. I think olive oil is the, the last on the list. But my recommendation, which is what I use as for my signature dishes, is a butter, lots okay. of it, or ghee. Ghee? Clarified butter. Yeah.
1: Thanks for clarifying that.
0: <laughs> and it brings out the aroma and it just makes it more rich. But my dishes, okay, forget about counting calories. That's, that's not going to work.
1: <laughs> sure okay well, well fine i'm completely in agreement so so you, you've sauteed <laughs> these these three ingredients and then yeah. what are we adding next
0: okay and then um the korma powder you have to mix it with water it'll come in a powder form right so you can buy either ready-made korma powder it will literally i'm not gonna korma. buy no
1: korma powder yeah
0: or you can make your own blend which i can share with you what you need to do but you blend now we're talking yeah so you make it into a thick paste. You can't make it, you don't put too much water. You have to make it into a very thick paste. So, And then you're
1: cooking this paste out as well then?
0: Yeah, so you add it into, uh, what do you call it, into the pot together with the blended ingredients.
1: Okay, and so what's inside this
0: paste? Okay, so you have cumin, powder, fennel, white pepper, black pepper, and then you have uh, a little bit of uh, chili Powder, But I I usually put very, very little or minimum none at all. And then you should put also a cardamom pot, star anise, um, cloves. You can put one stick of cinnamon and you can, um, what do you call it? A stick of cinnamon in a paste? That doesn't make any sense. Um, You're putting a whole stick of cinnamon in it? You can put, you can choose. You can put um, cinnamon powder into it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, or
0: you can put a stick of cinnamon into when you're you're sorting it, right, into the pot. You can just throw it into that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So some people, they would put all the dried ingredients first. So for example, your cardamom pots, your star anise seed, your cloves, your stick of cinnamon, you put it in and then you kind of like...
1: And kind of yeah, toast, them. toast
0: them a little bit, and then you put the paste, yeah. But then it depends, you know. Like, right. there have been times where I keep forgetting to put them in, I'm so excited to put the paste in. So, to trick myself, I'll just throw <laughs> all of the dry ingredients <laughs> into the paste and it just go in. But that's just me. <laughs> but it's better to toast them first.
1: And so, sure. And, and so, once this paste has got to temperature. What's it looking like in the pan? Is it kind of all yeah, congealed?
0: Yeah, congeal and then it'll brown. But it's very important you control your fire, your temperature. So make sure that you lower the temperature because you want it to slowly brown and not burn. Very important. And you've got to be very sensitive to the smell. Do not put a lid on it and then go off and do something else because it will burn. So you need to constantly stir it and you've got to wait for the smell very very crucial
1: right and how would you know when it smells right to move on to the next stage
0: it's like when you toast okay it's this is a very good very good question when it smells cooked together like for example when you when you saute garlic in olive oil right and there's a difference when you just throw it into the into your frying pan, and then slowly when it browns, there's that kind of distinct smell that that comes with the browning, yeah, that sharp smell that is cooking. Yeah, that is the same thing. So,
1: and okay, I I can just about picture this. Then when we've when we've kind of mm-hmm. got to this stage, are we adding any Not liquid yet?
0: yet? Make sure that it browns nicely and it, it's, it smells very, very aromatic. It's sharper, but it doesn't smell raw anymore. Um, and then you, you another way is to look at the consistency. So the liquid that you added into the paste, right, it's almost gone. So and at the bottom of the pot, it's turning brown. It's not burning. And that's when you put in your pieces of meat.
1: Good. And, and we're putting this, this meat kind of straight into the... So we're not browning the meat first, we're just putting it straight in?
0: No, putting it straight in. And then the liquid, the juices coming out from the meat immediately will sort of like prevent um, the ingredients from, from burning. So sometimes what I do is... Yeah, so sometimes what I do is I, I put the meat in and then you can see the juices coming out. And then I put a little bit of milk. Just a milk, sorry. Just a little bit of water. A little teeny bit of water. Maybe like um I don't know. Maybe like a, just enough water to cover the meat.
1: Right. Okay. In and the pot. so yeah. then is this like a dutch oven we're using so so there's like a lid yes you, okay. yes
0: yes i recommend you only to cook curry and korma to use dutch oven because it will splatter so it's better to just use that
1: right so mm-hmm. the chicken's in the chicken's in lids on
0: yes put the lid on and then this is where you turn your temperature even lower it's, it's gonna slow cook now Amazing. And this is where it differs from my mom's cooking and my grandmother's cooking because my mom and my grandma, when they cook korma or curry, it will be the same temperature throughout. And um, at this point, when they put in the meat, they will already put in the coconut milk. So the coconut milk will cook together with the meat. I don't do that.
1: Okay, what's your twist?
0: So I will let the chicken cook. Um in, in all that ingredient, right? And I let the juices come out and there's already a little bit of water added into that and I let it just marry into the whole thing and then when the meat, ha- you know, is cooked, I open the lid and I have a look at the meat. When it's cooked... The- how Roughly
1: how, how long later
0: are we talking um about? If we're cooking a, one whole chicken, it would be like about um, 20 minutes.
1: Okay, and this is obviously this is a whole chicken that's cut up into yeah. pieces, right? Or, we haven't just put or, a whole chicken in. <laughs> yeah, so or
0: or just you just buy you know the drumstick or the thighs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Twenty minutes. Yeah, minimum Delicious is twenty part. minutes. Yeah. Okay, that seems quite quick. Not because it's yeah because if, it's if not I'm, done yet. That's just the first part. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, okay, right. Well, I've just ahead of myself. There's me looking in the pot going, "Is it done yet? Can I have my no. dinner, please?" And you're going, "No." Oh. Yeah, Live back on. The exactly. best is yet to come.
0: And and then when it's cooked and then, yeah, you open the lid and you have a look at the meat. So it should be like, you know, almost cooked now. But then um, what you do, that's when you start to add the seasoning. You add a bit of salt and a bit of sugar and I use tamarind juice. Now, if I don't have tamarind juice uh, and, and um, say, back then it was quite difficult to get tamarind juice, um, I would yeah, tamarind juice. It's from the tamarind fruit,
1: right? Well, okay, that, yeah. that makes sense.
0: But yeah, but but if you go to um Asian supermarket, you can find it actually. Yeah, but if not, you can just use regular vinegar. And could could and you buy
1: tamarind? Um, uh,
0: back in the US, yeah or in Malaysia back in the US it was very very difficult actually um am trying to imagine
1: what tamarins so look like they, they they look like 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 dried edamame beans don't they like brown
0: yes brown color correct that's right so but they don't, a whole they, don't
1: lot like than they don't seem like they got juice in
0: uh no actually if you were to okay if you were to take a uh, a tamarind pot right and then in in, you open it it's actually it's it's it looks like it's like a fruit yeah you can you can eat it straight away what does it look like inside i've not
1: i can't even imagine breaking one well i kind of kind of i can imagine it's got like a crusty shell right yeah and then inside Mm what does it look like is it dark inside
0: it's it's uh yeah, it's dark inside, right. and it's got a seed in the middle. So what they normally do is to make the paste. They will just remove the seed, and they just you know, pulp yeah. the flesh together into a huge ball, and that's how they sell it. Or they will put it in a container.
1: This does sound like an absolute nightmare. I no wonder. It's hard to
0: yeah, this but you, it's not like you know, it's not like you just squeeze a lime and you know it's running, it's it's all juicy and runny. No, no, um, it's it's like condensed, um, what do you call it? Sourness into one pot so you you put a bit of that paste into the korma with the salt and the sugar you stir it and that's when you incrementally add water up to how thick you want the gravy to be so like for me i like it to be thick unless um I, you know, I have requests from my friends who are like, oh, can you make it a little bit more, you know, runny? Then I will, I would add more water. But personally, I like it to be quite thick.
1: Sure. So, so you've added this paste, and you've added your seasoning.
0: Mm-hmm. Put the lid back on.
1: Lid back on. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. And lid then back on. you
0: let it, <laughs> and then you put, uh, and then you, you let it slow cook for another 20 minutes.
1: Okay. So total cooking time about 45 minutes then.
0: Yeah. To an hour.
1: Right, and then by this stage, the chicken has presumably got kind of fall off the bone tender,
0: slightly. Yeah, and that's that's perfectly fine actually, because the whole idea of having the bone in is actually to kind of like enrich the the flavouring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And but... the,
1: the skin <laughs> won't have gone kind of brown, will it? The
0: skin will be like still, yeah, soft, very very soft. In fact, the skin would have slowly like disintegrated because it's like you know it is it's pretty much cooked to death I like to that's how I like to describe it you know how well, do you like the... how do you cook your chicken cooked to death yeah <laughs> but well oh, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but chicken
1: that chicken is necessarily dead isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah but what happens then is also I would add in potatoes i would cut potatoes and like thickly um chunks thick chunks of carrots I would put that in so that will go last actually
1: and this is this is very off piece now isn't it
0: uh no actually because um kurma and curry they they do have um potatoes and carrots and all that but it's just that i don't cook Maybe. them together with the chicken from the get go because that's when it'll be too soft and when right. when the potato you know disintegrate it will make the the gravy unnecessarily thicker and i don't want that i don't want the 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 gravy to be thickened because of the potato
1: so in the curry you can see these whole chunks of of tom- of uh, carrot and potato yes Absolutely. This is just like a, a, a Japanese curry actually. The the way that uh, the way that they, they'll create a curry. Yes. Very sweet curry. Yeah. Yeah. Will, will, you'll have these whole chunks left yes.
0: still left in. And and sometimes just to make it more colourful, I will cut um I will take green chilies and then I would slice it in half and I'll just put it in. And so you have the orange from the carrot and then you have the potato and then you have the green from the from the green chilies.
1: I imagine it looks absolutely beautiful. Yeah.
0: And what was the
1: reaction to your new American friends when they were talking this Oh, they love
0: it. Dish? They thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. So, <laughs> they love and it. And was
1: sliced bread a new invention in that area
0: too? <laughs> they love it because, um, number one, it's not too overwhelming. It's not spicy at all. But the fact that, you know, the, the, the chicken doesn't taste, you know, just chicken meat. You know, it's got, seasoning flavoring in, in it and then this and um they they love the whole idea of um the thing is very very exotic because um they're not familiar with the combination of cumin and fennel and white pepper and and then and, and then all this dry ingredients like cinnamon cloves they know these ingredients they even they they use them you know but to put it into something savory it was just mind blowing for them. So,
1: and now you're back in Malaysia. Do you still cook this dish?
0: Uh, I do, but only for my for my friends, and if I have private sessions, because um, I I I don't cook these dishes for my family, to be honest, because the culture here is um, I think the the recipe of the family always goes to the elders in the family. So um my mom's recipe will you know reign supreme and um i usually cook my signature dishes for my own friends and um so when i go to my mom's place i would i would appreciate her signature dish because my mom she she thinks my my dish my dishes are too contemporary <laughs>
1: That was Natasha, I really enjoyed speaking to her. Well, in fact, I enjoyed speaking to her, I didn't enjoy the process, because this wretched software that I used to try and record this uh, was so buggy. And I'd say a good 40 minutes of really interesting chat uh, got sacrificed to the comp, to the podcast gods. Uh, and so unfortunately, the, the audio which you heard is the bit which I could salvage. Uh, but she had so much to say, but I do think uh, even the part which we managed to hear does her justice. She's so thoughtful about her food and obviously the, the fact that she's so inquisitive for all of her experiences about learning from other people and sharing her food uh, has obviously turned her into somebody that uh, that has a lot of strong convictions uh, about about food. Uh, and I really enjoy talking to people like that. Uh, so that's it for episode four. Uh, episode is uh, really exciting. Uh, I've just come back today uh, from the BBC Good Food Show, which is held in the NEC uh, Birmingham uh, in the UK uh, twice a year. Uh, and I'm not going to reveal who the guests are, but I'm extremely glad uh, to have spoken to them. Uh, they are very very big names in food uh, and I learnt so much speaking to them so uh, I look forward to sharing that episode with you this time next week to be the first to get the episode please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it and as ever if you have any questions anything you'd like to say then please do email me at podcast at pona.app. that's podcast at pona, P-O-N-A dot app. I'll see you next week